0: I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big... Strong... Yes! Season two! Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where two best friends read books together and try to apply what they learn to their lives. This season, our book is Burnout, by Emily Nagotsky, PhD, and Amelia Nagotsky, DMA. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm researcher Dr. Kelly Jones. The reading we'll be discussing today is Burnout Chapter 4,
1: The Game is Rigged. Next week's reading is Burnout, Chapter Five: The Bikini Industrial Complex. Go to chiprush.com and look under Big Strong Yes to find our complete schedule, or look in the show notes to find the link. All right, Dr. Jones. So this week's chapter, just to give everybody a little bit of a heads up, was a little bit challenging. I think mm-hmm. for both of us for a lot of reasons. So it should be a really interesting um,
0: discussion. Uh, but I guess we should start with homework. Yeah, we should. And I I love your homework notes so much. So I'm going to make you go first. Aww. This is beautiful homework. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Alright, so my homework last time was trying to figure out what the gold was in the Kintsugi metaphor uh, for taking the broken pieces of me and putting it back together. And um, I told my therapist all about this and uh, she was taking down notes furiously because she just loved the idea, <laughs> you know, the Kintsugi idea of this, this gold that makes the broken thing even prettier and even more valuable, you know. Um, and so we were talking about it and i was like all right so i've got this metaphor that like there are all these parts of me that are broken in these broken shards and now i'm ready to forgive myself i'm ready to move on i'm ready to move forward and like how do i put all those pieces back together again um and what is the gold in that metaphor that is the the binding element that can bring it mm-hmm. all together again, even though it, I will never be a person that was not broken in these places. It can be beautiful, you know, the breaks themselves. And um, and she suggested it was compassion, you know, that I take all of these pieces, use self-compassion to put them back together. And I was like, you know, yeah, like that's a nice idea, but it didn't quite feel right to me. And then I thought about it a little bit more. And I thought, you know, I think it's love. I mean, Mm -hmm. there were people in Discord um, this past week uh, coming and having the discussion. The discussion in the Big Strong Yes channel is, as always, just fantastic. Yeah. Um, And there was somebody who had come in, and it is a a person who um, struggles with disability and has a body that has not worked for them as much as they would have liked it to, who said simply, I want Lonnie's body. You know, after my whole big tirade about how fucking good my body has been to me, um, and yet I've still hated it my whole life because my family told me I was fat and ugly from the time I was like literally a baby, right? Oh, honey. Um, You know, and the thing is, is that as I talk about this, which is the first time I think I've talked about my relationship with my body, not just publicly, but like with anybody, like I haven't even talked about this in therapy, like this just came up because we hit this part in the book, you know, Um, but I've never really talked about it. And I've never really examined why I have such an antagonistic relationship with my body and what all of that is about. Um, And, you know, the thing is, I am grateful Like, I know how good my body has been to me. And considering that I drank for most of my adult life and smoked for a good chunk of it, and I'm not great with the super healthy diet or with consistent exercise, I mean, I'm goddamn grateful that my body has not delivered a bigger bill for the debt that I've run up. Um, But I'm thinking about it, and it's more than gratitude, you know, for me. I mean, it's time I really genuinely learned to love myself. I feel like. It's that self-love that has been the missing gold, right, to put these broken pieces back together again. It's not enough to not be self-deprecating, and it's not enough to not slap myself. I need to love myself, like genuinely, without limits, the way that I love everyone else that I love. And I think that that's the gold. I think that's what you fill the cracks with. And uh, do I know how? i'm going to do that i don't i don't i don't know but i know that with the people in my life who i love um that i love them with an enthusiasm you know Mm -hmm. it's not a passive i mean okay kelly jones you know what it's like to be loved by me is that a passive love no (laughs) (laughs) not even a little it's wonderful (laughs) <laughs> right so how, like how do I learn to actively love myself
0: I think that's the gold yes no I love this and I think mm-hmm. it's beautiful and I hope you figure out how mm-hmm. to do this so you can teach me because I'm like yes that <laughs> uh-huh. is the correct answer how do you do that yeah I have no fucking right. idea <laughs> um, but I love you with all the I gold love you with all the gold <laughs> and I do I really like that I like mm-hmm. I like love for yourself as the gold. I'm just like, okay, now show me how. <laughs> if I figure it out, I will definitely, definitely tell you. All right.
1: So what was going on with your homework this week?
0: Okay. So I was thinking a lot about rewriting my origin story because it's a really interesting idea. Yeah. And and it's funny, I love synchronicity when mm-hmm. when something comes at you from like more than one place, right? From mm-hmm. like more than one source. Um because basically I want to triangulate all the data all the time. Yeah. And like if someone says you should read this book, and then someone else says you should read this book, and then the book is mentioned on a podcast I'm listening to, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, it is clearly time to read that book. So, um, <laughs> in in the the spirit of synchronicity, um, I have been participating in a class with my uh, church pastor mm-hmm. called "Owning Your Religious Past," mm-hmm. and and it's a really intriguing class because it's 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 about examining. Your own sort of spiritual history mm-hmm. and figuring out, you know, what you can learn from that essentially. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and because mine is so bizarre and traumatic, um, I didn't really know what to, you know, yeah. what I was going to get out of this class. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was absolutely hilarious to me in the um, you can be super smart and incredibly not aware when stuff <laughs> is actually related to you kind of way. Of how I did not do my research with this. Mm-hmm. So like I sat around and thought, well, maybe I'm just remembering stuff wrong or maybe I'm blowing this out of proportion or whatever. But the the organization that I was raised in is still active. Mm-hmm. They have a website with oh. information on it. Yeah. Did I go to the website and read? the? No, no, I did <laughs> not do that. Um, and then when I realized I had not done that, it mm-hmm. just cracked me up. So I'm like, oh, I will research all the things except this. Well
1: Yeah, except the the organization that traumatized you as a very young child. Yeah, I can understand why you wouldn't do that.
0: Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, it it ended up making me laugh. Um <laughs> but I realized that like part of my problem, part mm-hmm. of my challenge, part of my struggle with this is I don't know how to define my terms. Like I don't know how to explain the the group that I grew up in because yeah. it is so bizarre and I was like oh my god I can't even be in a cult right like I can't even do that in the <laughs> in the normal way like it's not because uh-huh. none of this is is you know stereotypical or what you expect so I was like I don't even know how to talk about this <laughs> um, and so I I had a meeting with the pastor and she actually gave me some words. Yeah. To describe this. And I was like, oh my wait, you can ask for help. Oh my goodness. Defining your terms? Like this was amazing. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so it was it that was a really great experience. And it it just aligned so well for me with the idea of rewriting your origin story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means I need to tell someone this yeah. is my experience. How would you describe that? Like, give me some words that come to mind. And that process was incredibly helpful. But the big takeaway from this class is, you know, basically, what did you learn? Mm-hmm. Like, what lessons did you learn? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about the world? That, that kind of thing. Um, and I realized for as disturbing as my experience was, I learned how to question. And I learned how to mm-hmm. challenge my own thinking. And I learned how to unlearn things that I was taught. Um, which really made me think of you know my love of research Mm -hmm. and of questioning and of story as a form of research how fiction can let you experience new paradigms um, and how reading so much as a kid really let me examine questions that I couldn't take anywhere else Mm -hmm. you know so like I don't have a lot of clear answers about spirituality or religion. I just know that if the answer is the diminishment of anyone's humanity, then the answer is wrong. Mm -hmm. But in the in the rewriting the origin story, one of the other participants in the class had brought up the idea of grace. And that is an area where I struggle. But I was like, Mm -hmm. maybe my love for learning and for for stories like maybe that is a gift. Maybe that Mm -hmm. is a kind of grace and I was like, so maybe my something larger is research after all. So it, it kind of was a neat, like, little, you know, circle of synchronicity, which I enjoyed. Oh, my God. That's so beautiful. You almost made me cry. Oh, honey.
1: <laughs> I, you know, because you do. You have such a love for knowledge and research and all of that. And to see that as as a grace, you know, as the thing that that held you up, you know, through all of these you know things that you experienced. I mean, I think that's kind of
0: lovely. Yeah, it was kind. I of like that we both have we have very pretty homework, we which do. is nice because uh we don't have a pretty chapter. But <laughs> it's a <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah, because the responses, I, mm-hmm. yeah, tear that chapter to itty bitty pieces. I'm so Tell excited me. for that. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your uh, your reflections this week. I yeah, I struggled this
1: week. Um. I realized that while I read this book, I feel guilty, like, mm. and I'm trying to figure out why. Um, and on the one hand, like, I like, I like this book. I like Emily and Amelia. Um, mm-hmm. I like that they're talking about science. I like their voices. Um, but I kept thinking there's something that makes me feel really guilty. And I went into the BSY Discord channel and everybody was kind of talking about the things that had, had you know, jumped out at them or that made them feel not included, you know, mm-hmm. in this story, similar to how you were talking about how you felt excluded as LGBTQ, right? You know, yep. that... um that it just doesn't look at that perspective. Um, so, you know, here we are, we're talking about like women and the female experience. And I feel like there's so much that gets left out of that. Um, you know, one of the things like, I- I've never really enjoyed how incredibly gendered this is, but um I feel like this is really a white cishet able female experience that is being told in this book. And as a white cishet able woman, I feel like there's a lot in here that I'm just not going to perceive. And at every turn, I worry that I'm not properly serving our audience, that I'm not properly seeing the ways in which other people, you know, may be excluded. And my friend, Dr. Charisse Laprie defines media literacy as seeing things that you are actively encouraged not to see. And I feel like I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. With my media literacy, with this book, um, the discussion in Discord was amazing. We have such a yeah. wonderfully diverse group there. They really helped me through this, and it was it was nice. But I haven't I haven't landed. You know that you know that point where you're still trying to parse everything, and you haven't mm-hmm. quite landed, and you don't know like intellectually where you stand with certain ideas. Um, you know, I'm struggling with the work of reading a book that was specifically made for me. Like, I mean, cishet, white, able woman. I am the audience for this thing. And I worry that I might fail to read it critically enough that I might miss things that I really need to be able to see and that I really want to be able to see. Um, So I'm very uncomfortable as I read this that I'm going to emphatically nod at things which upon deeper reflection need a lot more examination and discussion and inclusion of more experience just because this book rides so close to my own personal experience, the way in which I was trained to live in and see the world grow growing up as I did. Um, So, you know, I just want to say that like, if I do that, you all are welcome to kindly let me know, and I'm gonna try not to feel so goddamn guilty about it because guilt is not helpful for me. It's not a helpful emotion, um, and uh, and it, it it tends to shut me down. I was I was kind of raised on a steady diet of guilt for things that I had no control over and that were not my fault. Mm-hmm. So I have this tendency to uh, take like complete and utter responsibility for everything, which means the guilt button is is just hit too much. I'm just always on guilt overload. Um, I also feel like when I feel guilty, it makes these failures about my ego instead of what I can learn from this experience and from this discussion. So um, so I'm trying to take a look at it. I'm trying to see these things. I do feel like this is a very white, able, cishet lady book, which has, which gives me concerns about, you know, like some levels of white feminism in there. And when discussing the patriarchy, I also feel a little uncomfortable with that, although I think I'm, I'm still parsing, I'm still working with it. But the patriarchy is absolutely a problem. Like, I'm not uncomfortable that I feel like, oh, we're so unfair to the boys, you know, um, I'm not worried about that. It's that the patriarchy is something that a, a white cis able female can point to and be like, oh, look at me, I'm the victim without acknowledging necessarily the ways in which you might be complicit with other systems of oppression. And patriarchy skips hand in hand with, you know, like racism and homophobia and all of those things. I mean, it's All kind of, I think, part of the same system, but I, I, I feel like there may be a tendency. And again, I'm still parsing this, so you know, help me think it through. Don't yell at me yet, please. (laughs) Um, Not you, Kelly, but just like everybody who's so frustrated because I'm clearly not seeing something that needs to be seen here. But that I feel like there is. there's a white feminist kind of angle to that, which which fails to see the intersectionality of all kinds of experience. And that's what throws me off about this whole thing. I'm horribly, horribly uncomfortable with it. And I haven't been able to intellectually like nail down every like reason why. Um, mm-hmm. But that's where I was with it this week. <laughs> that was what I was struggling with as I came into this week's chapter, which did not relieve
0: my struggle at all really. <laughs> yeah well and I, I think it takes i think it takes a lot of vulnerability to realize that you're in that position mm-hmm. you know because we're doing this live yeah. <laughs> you know like and 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 reacting to this in real time mm-hmm. um and I think it takes a lot of vulnerability to do that, but there there is you know there's the difference between tacit and explicit knowledge mm-hmm. and so in when you're in a tacit space of understanding, like you might know there's something bigger here, or this isn't quite right, or like, mm-hmm. you might emotionally understand something that you can't explicitly express right. yet, you know, and that is, that is a process, like that is a cognitive process. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't rush it, you cannot know something until you know it, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I could not begin to count the number of things that I have missed in this book, mm-hmm. you know, I I have a lot of privilege mm-hmm. um, in, in our society. Um, but it, I think it It does pull me a little bit because I have a grown adult son Mm -hmm. who is a white man in our culture, you know, tall, blue eyed, blonde, able bodied, Mm -hmm. who is a human giver. Yeah. You know, like e- al- yeah. almost even more than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do struggle with that because there are parts of this book that I want to share with him. And I know that it is set up in such a way that would it would feel inaccessible to him. Yes. But I do want to kind of talk about the why of this. And so... Mm-hmm. I have quite a long lecture here of notes uh, where I feel like I'm channeling Hannah Gatsby when she's like, you want a lecture? I'll oh, give you a fucking lecture. And I I'm like, I'm ready to get out my podium and like my <laughs> pointer. And, you know, like there will be a quiz after this. So, like, mm-hmm. I ended up with so much. Stuff I'm in here because so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to talk about this chapter mm-hmm. just as it is. Yeah, um, because I struggled with it so much, mm-hmm. and so I didn't want to throw the book down, and I didn't want to dismiss the content, and I didn't just want to rant. Um, so I really tried to reframe my experience of reading this by drawing on my skills as a researcher. Yeah, and so I decided to look at this through the lens of qualitative methodology and dystopian literature those are two of my favorite things. Uh-huh. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to connect them. I love it. Um so one of my biggest pushbacks of the book, and mm-hmm. it's funny, I often find myself skipping the parts that are in italics and I have to yep. go back and make myself read them mm-hmm. because the the amalgams, these composites of mm-hmm. these characters who are not real characters, they're like a like a composite yeah. summary of mm-hmm. of a lot of interviews that went into this book. That is not how I was trained to present qualitative data. Mm -hmm. So basically, with research, you have three approaches. You have quantitative methodology, which is numbers, data, things you can count, and you're looking for statistical significance. And then you have qualitative data, which is going to be based on interviews, observations, questions, you know, you're talking to people, you're collecting very specific stories, you're ge- you're capturing mm-hmm. their words, their experience. yes, And then you can do a mixed mm-hmm. method study where you do some of both. But quantitative data is meant to be generalizable. That is why we look for statistical significance. Is that data true in 95 cases out of 100? If so, then yes, the average person should take two Tylenol right? That is what it's for. It's not that one methodology (laughs) is better than the other. You choose Mm -hmm. your methodology based on the research question you're asking. But Mm -hmm. in qualitative methodology, your job is to share rich description with your reader so that people can decide Mm -hmm. for themselves within the framework that you have established, what they think. But a qualitative study does not try to prove Anything you don't go in with a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. You're not looking for absolutes, Um, and so you you. It is very important to share word for word. So you don't edit your participants' responses. You don't do that. Um, And Mm -hmm. and and you, you. Of course, you assign pseudonyms and protect their privacy and all of those things. But a composite sketch is not the same thing as sharing someone's individual responses. And I realized that was one of the reasons I was I was bouncing off of this so hard and I'm yeah. not saying they're wrong for doing this it's just I, I think for the purpose of this book um, you know this is a mass market book this is this is a mm-hmm. you know a popular science self-help you know kind of book and so the expectations for how that is going to read and how it is structured is very different than that if this was a mm-hmm. peer-reviewed journal you know articles so right. it it just i'm like okay this is why the composites are not working for me um because in trying to generalize they are mm-hmm. oversimplifying situations which therefore cannot yes. apply to everyone um it it's it's on yeah. the label like it's it's part of the the description has the title in it like you just you can't do both things Well, I love that you are talking
1: about that because those amalgams have always bothered me and I couldn't put my finger on why, you know, it just felt wrong. Mm -hmm. But I had that was one of the things, one of the many things in this that I haven't parsed why. I'm responding to it the way that I am, you know, why I'm feeling not right about it the way that I am. So I really appreciate you explaining all of that, because that helps kind of like get me in touch with why that was bugging yeah. me.
0: Yeah. And, and one of mm-hmm. the other things when you're when you're a hardcore, qualitative methodologist like I am. Uh, I don't mess with numbers Mm -hmm. is um, Uh there's a a process called bracketing when when you're designing Mm -hmm. a study or getting ready to interview someone. uh, It is a a very conscious process of bracketing your personal experience and setting those things aside. And so you have Mm -hmm. to ask, what does this look like for someone who doesn't look like me? What am I bringing from my own self? That is going to influence what i see because they they talked a little bit in this chapter about unconscious bias but they didn't Mm -hmm. talk about confirmation bias and so if you go Mm -hmm. into a study which i do think i think this was done with the best possible intentions you know amelia was Mm -hmm. very sick emily recognized some of the symptoms of burnout Mm -hmm. taught this to amelia amelia got better they were like this is super helpful we want to share it with other people so then if you mm-hmm. start pulling research that already exists, which they did a great job of. But your mm-hmm. your search terms were burnout and women and you're pulling mm-hmm. from, you know, what would be like a quote unquote feminist research base. You're mm-hmm. already limiting your perspective. And it is it is yeah. impossible to cover everything. It is impossible to study everything. Um and I think that when you when you kind of take a new step in a direction as a researcher which they have done here and I'll talk about why in just a second mm-hmm. there's so much you're going to miss um, mm-hmm. and so I, and I think we have a tendency if something helps us we want to help people who struggle the way we struggle absolutely i am super passionate mm-hmm. about single parents going back to college does that mean that college <laughs> is only good for single parents no but but that is my passion cuz that was my experience right Um, Mm -hmm. So I just I think that that I think that has a lot to do with this without any harmful intent Um, that didn't make reading the chapter Mm -hmm. any easier, but it's there. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think there's also a fair bit of, oh, you just learned this now, which is (laughs) super hard if you have been oppressed by a system. You know, if you are in a marginalized group and this has been your reality every day of your life. And someone else mm-hmm. is just now figuring out that the patriarchy is a thing. You know, I imagine that you yeah. really want to smash things. Um, and <laughs> and but we can't know what we don't know. I didn't know the term compulsory heteronormativity until very recently. Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. think I could have understood it was a thing, but I didn't know it was a term, you know. And so, like, mm-hmm. it just it, I'm, I'm kind of trying to approach this with all the generosity of spirit that I can. But the other thing I really wanted to look at was the, the science of the research here to point out mm-hmm. science is old and it moves slowly. And so to yeah. do this, I kind of did a short comparison between depression and burnout, just in terms of what has been published, uh, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because depression is recognized as a diagnosable thing. And burnout is not mm-hmm. in the U.S., but burnout is in some other countries. Um, oh, and before mm-hmm. the 1600s and then for, you know, sometimes even long after and sometimes even today, uh, depression was often attributed to demonic possession or evil spirits and horrific treatments were just everyday occurrences. Mm-hmm. But in 1621, Dr. Robert Burton published The Anatomy of Melancholy, in which he <laughs> described psychological and social causes of depression. So it has been four hundred years oh my god and science Mm -hmm. is still struggling to understand support and treat depression 400 years is a Mm -hmm. lot of freaking published papers okay so
1: (laughs) for burnout
0: uh dr Friedenberger Mm -hmm. was the first to use this phrase in an article he published in 1974 it was called staff burnout and it was published in the journal of social issues um, mm-hmm. He was researching occupational stress, which was a piece yes. of this that I had missed on our first reading. And so I went mm-hmm. to a library database and I just started searching where, where can I find burnout? What are the articles about? And kind of like a super mm-hmm. shallow meta analysis just of these citations. And yes. first of all, fuck database paywalls so hard. <laughs> there are tons of articles, tons of them. hmm. And each one is incredibly narrow in its focus. So Mm -hmm. burnout is mostly studied on the job within the context of organizational development and workplace psychology. Um, Mm -hmm. The participant groups are very specific. The titles were things like burnout in third year nursing students over the age of 35 in Queens, New York burnout in <laughs> dentists of greek descent in california Bur- I- i'm not kidding and it was it was oh mostly my God. in the the, the mm-hmm. caregiving professions was was where this yeah. is coming from there's tons of them on teachers i found at least 100 on burnout in covid but they are all mm-hmm. tied directly to people's jobs Um, And and in the nursing studies, I read a couple of journal articles there. They're still debating the difference between burnout and compassion fatigue. So the Mm -hmm. researchers are still defining their terms. Um, And there is an inherent bias in the field of study itself because many people Mm -hmm. are left out of occupational studies. They are inherently classist. You have to have a certain Mm -hmm. amount of education and privilege to be in one of the groups that is being studied in the first place. And have you tried Mm -hmm. being an openly gay teacher in the last 50 years? Because you're probably (laughs) going to get skipped over, right? And there aren't many books and materials outside of academic journals about burnout yet. The other books that I found Mm -hmm. are concerned with burnout in the workplace. So Mm -hmm. we're looking at less than 50 years of research, which means burnout is still an itty bitty baby. Um, and yeah. that just mm-hmm. kind of helped me when I'm thinking about why this book is structured this way, because our authors took the research that has been done and thought, how does this apply to women when, when the burnout is not only at work, what does it mean to be burned mm-hmm. out by the system, the, the social system you're living in? And I think they really did try to make a contribution in that space, um, so it, it was just super helpful to me. And I haven't researched the origins of human giver syndrome yet the same way, but that is for next week that I'm going to do. Yes. So I'm going to pause for a second because I just talked I can't for wait. 45 minutes. Let's see if you have
1: thoughts. <laughs> well, it it was all fabulous. I love it when you've got all this stuff. Um, Yeah. And that's one of the things, too, that I kind of want to um, reiterate is that while I struggle with this material and while I struggle with what I am concerned about being somewhat like white feminist with it which which is not just ignoring like other racial identities but you know like the the hetero um the heteronormativity of it and um and the ableism of it that that there the, it's the lack of intersectionality in the the look at this experience um that uh that is something that you know concerns me was saying that like i don't want to i i really hate this coming off as like because there's a problem, somebody must be condemned, somebody must be taken down, somebody must be like, I like these two. I loved Come As You Are, Emily Nagoski's uh, previous book, which also was really super highly gendered. But you know, I, I, I really found it like really super helpful. Um, and I find the concepts here really actively helpful in a lot of ways. It's just that there, there is this exclusivity in the discussion that feels weird to me and I'm very uncomfortable with it. Um, but there, I think that they are taking a really brave first step into an area that no one stepped in yet. You know, that they're kind of and I think that the first movement into that space is going to be naturally difficult. And I do feel like having worked in publishing, I do feel like. And I don't know anything. I don't know these authors. I have not spoken to them about this, like none of that. Um, But like, I can absolutely see how, hey, we have this book and we have this idea and a publisher comes back with make it pink so I can sell it. And that that was what they were told to do. And that's what they did. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. I really don't. Um, But there is a great marketability in this approach that you know, that I can see being a motivating factor for the publisher, which would then put pressure on the authors to do that. Um, I like these two. I've, I've enjoyed them every time I've listened to them be interviewed. Um, they, they seem um, really great, really smart and absolutely good hearted people. So like I just, you know, I kind of want to take a moment to be like, there's always this time where you get frustrated with something and it's really easy to get mad at somebody about yeah. it. Um, but the reality is that, that everybody's working within these systems too and like I have I have compassion for that and I also have a lot of respect for both of these authors mm-hmm. so I don't know I just kind of wanted to throw that out there just as something that like yeah. you know I, I enjoy the analysis I need the analysis so that I can I can kind of figure out what it is that's making me personally uncomfortable with this yeah. Um but it's not an attempt to take anybody down or to like wag a finger it's just really a discussion that needs to be had at this stage in this research
0: and and when you're writing something that is to be peer-reviewed you have to list your limitations and you have to list your Mm -hmm. delimitations which are the limitations that you chose um and and because it is impossible to study all the things so like. Tiny mm-hmm. example, but when I I did my dissertation, I recruited, you know, participants and they had to be mm-hmm. 18 or older because the IRB, the Institutional Review Board process for interviewing children is massive Mm -hmm. and my I specialize in adult learning so like but I had to make that Mm -hmm. a limitation of my study and I got called out by a group of very passionate teenagers um on Twitter who Mm -hmm. were very upset for being excluded from the Mm -hmm. study and and rightfully so but I'm like Mm -hmm. I can't I have to narrow the you know this is this is the only one I'm doing and I hope another researcher comes after me and says okay how does that compare with the experiences of younger people that's how mm-hmm. you contribute to a field right you have to you have to yeah. so I'm not saying any of this is an excuse, but it helps me to think about this mm-hmm. when I'm reading something that I bounce off this hard. Um, yeah but I also had a lot of thoughts about the the title of this chapter uh, with the game is rigged mm-hmm. because story teaches us this. And so the authors right. mentioned the Hunger Games and I was like, oh, this is interesting mm-hmm. because I love dystopia. I love dystopia, even when it <laughs> freaking horrifies me. But I'm like, Brave uh, New World, The Handmaid's Tale, The Man in the High Castle, The Giver Westworld, The Hunger Games, Never Let Me Go, anything uh, by Octavia Butler, like, give me. Uh-huh. Um, and I realized mm-hmm. <laughs> most of my favorite stories fall in the the game is rigged, but we're going to fight anyway category Mm -hmm. and my favorite parts of those stories are when the characters take care of each other and give each other support and hope and inspiration and strength and acknowledge the humanity of Mm -hmm. themselves and others in the face of whatever horrific system they're living in and I'm like Uh so dystopia stories are fiction that tell a truth and they give us a safe framework for examining the darkness of our reality right they give Mm -hmm. us a way to look at the systems that we are part of Um, In a way that I don't know, you know, other other genres do exactly in the same way. And and what stands out to me when I think about a dystopia is that the system, whatever it is, was a conscious decision. Society Mm -hmm. is not shaped like this because of supernatural forces or because of one, you know, monarch, Mm -hmm. whatever. This is a systematic decision that is then reinforced and upheld by the majority of the group. Like that is. That is mm-hmm. what you're fighting. Um, and I think this this chapter of Burnout, or maybe the book itself, examines a form of dystopia with the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And it tells its truth based on the author's experience. But it's not the whole truth. And it's not everyone's story. It is impossible to generalize from a narrow lens. Um, but yeah. I, I was really interested in this this idea of dystopia. And, and what we're living in and how we talk about it because we don't have mm-hmm. great language. It's hard to build the plane right. while you're flying in it. You know, like this is, <laughs> right. it's, it's, you know, the patriarchy is one face of the enemy, but it's not the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think ultimately like this book feels like a contribution to a relatively new area of research with an audience mm-hmm. that is probably more narrow than the authors intended. And so for that mm-hmm. I am choosing to focus on the things that I find helpful because the game is rigged. Yes. I want to fix it. I don't know how. I don't have the power to do that Mm -hmm. anyway. So what's the point of rumbling with burnout? And Mm -hmm. I think they really got to that in chapter three, because the only answer I can come up with is meaning. My life matters. My humanity matters. So does yours. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact Mm -hmm. that we as people can struggle within systems while living in those systems and be aware that we are struggling in real time while we were in it and experience mm-hmm. cruelty and cynicism but still find meaning in life and be kind to each other and write stories and learn things It's a goddamn miracle so like I, i'm is. like all right i'm gonna be a fucking optimist but this chapter was also really frustrating um oh and God. i'll shut up now because i yeah. was a lot <laughs> i was
1: just writing notes all night do long do not ever <laughs> shut up you are my favorite person to listen to <laughs> But I'll talk for a little bit so you can sip your tea. Um, All right, so the game is rigged, right? Here we are um, introducing this chapter and we have, again, one of these amalgam stories where we talk about the fictionalized Sophie, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Um, and she's talking about the Kobayashi Maru, which is the unwinnable game, which comes from a Star Trek um, uh, movie that I actually just recently watched. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, Kirstie Alley was really, really pissed that she could not win that game. Um... So we get to this point in in this where Sophie says, "I am going to die." The win is I prove my character every time I'm tested, and I'm like, "Uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like a win to me. That feels like bullshit, you know." Um, and that the idea, and again, like I'm I'm still wrestling with what it is that bothers me about that. But I think it's that the idea is that I get to prove my character and what does that do to dismantle the system that's rigged? What does that do? Like, it's one of these things where like, I feel like being like I'm being pat on the head, like, oh, yes, this whole game is rigged and all of this stuff, but you get your character. Isn't that sweet? You know, I feel like I'm being patted on the head. It's like, no, the fact that I'm being pitted up against an unwinnable game every fucking day, that's a problem. And we need to, there is not a win for me in that circumstance. The win is not that I get to know as I lie there dying that I was honorable in my approach. You know, I mean, like, I don't even know what the fuck that's about. Um, So as we're reading this, like, almost from jump, I'm angry reading this chapter (laughs) for a number of reasons. Um, You know, it's, it's this, and they have this thing, they said, the science say it's good for us to name it, right? And I absolutely believe that the science does say that right Um, that it is important to look at these things to acknowledge these things that's part of what I do I think with my my work where I talk about stories Mm -hmm. is that yes a story is 20 years old and a lot of people be like oh well you can't hold a 20 year old story to the you know uh, uh, like to today's standards or whatever and I'm like that's not even the fucking point the point is that when we call it out and we acknowledge it we take the gaslight out of it. Mm-hmm. And then people can look at it and maybe they can appreciate it and and get through it without being harmed by it. You know, maybe you can take the poison out yeah. of it, you know? That to me is exactly the point. That is why I have these discussions over and over and over again about every single episode and why I revisit the same thing every time because I want the people who are poisoned by it to be able to get that poison out of it and enjoy the rest of it. Um, and I still don't know how effective that is as a strategy, but that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm going for, you know? Um, so I think that that's really important. Uh, they also have this line, we need to talk about the knife and the person who used it against us. Yes, we fucking do. Yeah. Um, we do need to talk about that. That does need to be discussed. Um, so I think all of that is, um, like, I'm okay with that, that we need to talk about it. We need to name it. Um. Then they started talking about the helpless rats, mm-hmm. you know, the learned helplessness that like you're never going to win. So you can't even try even when you're in a circumstance where you could win, um, you know. And uh, and one of the things that they say is that as soon as a participant in the helpless group was shown that the noise was rigged or the problem was unsolvable, his symptoms of stress would disappear, you know. Um, and I'm not like because when you're removed from the situation in which the noise is rigged, in which it's unsolvable, and you know that it's unsolvable, then the stress disappears. But like, while you're still in it, aren't you just going to be like, maybe you don't feel so helpless, maybe your symptoms of helplessness will disappear. But like, you're still in it, you're still living in it, it's still stressful, it's still going to make you crazy. Like, it felt So simplified to me. Um, And then, you know, we get to this thing with remember who the enemy is. The enemy is the game itself, which tries to convince us it's not the enemy. The game makes us think that we are the enemy. Um, But it just it feels I don't know. It doesn't feel like enough to Mm -hmm. me. It doesn't feel like it goes into this deeply enough or even empathizes enough with the experience of being in a rigged system for as long as you are in that rigged system
0: you know yeah yeah it's interesting i had a different reaction to the unwinnable game um because yeah. to me i was like oh I, I would absolutely play that um and it i would absolutely play that game um but i was thinking about uh, our our previous podcast uh still dead about angel the series mm-hmm. if nothing we do mm-hmm. matters then all that matters is what we do like, oh god i love that line that it, the system is rigged the game mm-hmm. is rigged if nothing we do matters all that matters is what we do if i know i'm mm-hmm. gonna die god damn yes i'm gonna die with my humanity intact fuck yeah mm-hmm. because that yeah matters it has meaning um so like i i was all on board with that game i was like oh hell yeah I, it does but like what drives
1: me crazy though is that we're looking at I mean and I do believe that and I'm big into if nothing we do matters and all that matters is what we do like that is a philosophy by which I live my life that line that one line <laughs> in a television show changed my fucking life like it really did it changes the way I look at everything um but I'm still pissed about the unwinnable game like yes all of that yes to all of that yeah you know by all means yes get your character and everything but that's not the win that's like what I get to take out of it that's the meaning that I get to take right. out of it but it doesn't mean that that the system that created this doesn't have to feel shitty about itself because or doesn't have to be changed right. because I take away that win like that those things don't it doesn't justify the rigged no game. oh god no there's no and that's I think what yeah, yeah. there's no justifying that's the what made me crazy it felt like a justification
0: of the rigged yeah. game
1: or like it's okay because you get to you get to
0: die knowing <laughs> that you did a great job honey no no right the system is completely yeah. fucked and wrong um mm-hmm. i like the 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 quote in the wake of violence the first priority is to stop the bleeding and save the victim's life but at some point mm-hmm. we need to go back and figure out how the bleeding started so we can prevent it from happening again and i mm-hmm. think that and it, it also tied back to me to rewriting your origin story um yeah and and when you think about this systemically it's overwhelming so it it mm-hmm. can be a first step to think about it personally Um, And I did like that. But then they immediately said every human can complete the stress cycle, Mm -hmm. manage their monitor and engage with their something larger because those resources exist inside us. And I was like, yeah, can they, though? Because, you know, not only is this book probably very much written for for cis, straight, white, able bodied women, it's also written for neurotypical Mm -hmm women uh-huh. and there's a lot of stuff with that monitor if you struggle with executive function uh, uh-huh. that, that's a whole different ballgame um, and so I'm mm. like do I think everyone has the capacity to do these things in a certain way with proper scaffolding and support absolutely do I think it's going to mm-hmm. work the same way for everybody no I do not um, yeah. but I, I I do think there is there is definite science behind the idea of learned helplessness um, when mm-hmm. when yeah. we jump from frustration to despair, like that is real, and I do think knowing the game is rigged can help you feel better. But yes, because you have to understand that you are not wrong; the system is wrong. Yes, and no one is saying mm-hmm. that the system should stay the way it is. Like that's you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it yeah it, it this chapter was a mess. <laughs> It is important to know that you
1: are not the problem, that the system is the problem. Um, It's just to me that's not enough. It's important, it's not enough. Um, and that's kind of where it, it was it was bugging me. Um, the next thing that we get to is the patriarchy ugh, and gaslighting, right? Um, so we go into this section, and one of the first quotes that I pulled out is, in rat research, these kinds of pervasive problems are called chronic mild stress. Um, and I'm like, okay, I can definitely, as a human, identify with the rats experiencing that chronic mild stress, that like low hum of stress that is just there all the time. And until it's removed, you don't even realize it's there, but it is causing all of that tension, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that you think, well, why am I feeling this way? You know, like, why am I always feeling this way? And it's because of that that endless, like, low hum of bullshit, you know? Um, and then there's this thing where they say, one damn thing after another is what being a woman often feels like. Um, again, we're super gendered here, and experiences vary, and even people who don't identify as women experience other kinds of these daily stresses. Um, and we've talked about all the ways in which different identities can experience that. And so some of that, again... I know this was written narrowly. I know it was written for a narrow audience. Um, But I just feel like it is possible to identify with that experience without identifying as a woman. Um, And uh, this idea that misogyny doesn't just kill women. Um, You know, yeah, like racism, it's bad for everybody. And the people who, you know, benefit from these systems, even as they would seek to continue them to consolidate power and keep it from others, are also harmed by them. Systems of hate hurt everyone, which is why when people are like, well, you know, if you're fighting against white supremacy, you're losing your privilege. And I'm like, what am I losing? What I'm losing are all of these terrible things that happen that affect everyone negatively when we have a system of where human value is placed on a hierarchy. You know, um, that's a problem. It hurts everyone. It hurts. I, You know, I completely acknowledge, and especially for people who do not have my level of privilege, I I understand how frustrating this may be to hear. Like, I acknowledge that I have privilege. I'm saying, I don't think that it benefits anybody more than it hurts everyone, you know, like it hurts everyone. um, And we all need to recognize that, Um, that dismantling these systems is a net good, I believe, for absolutely everybody involved. Um, But anyway, you know, everybody knows this, I'm just saying, naming it can help. I just want to name it. Um, but then we came to this idea that like, why do male rats and female rats respond differently to stress? Are like, are rats patriarchal? Is that, is it a patriarchal society? I don't even know. I don't understand rats. I don't like rats.
0: They creep me out. Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of let's extrapolate from animal behavior into human emotional experiences mm-hmm. um a lot of that is left over from the behaviorism that shaped the field and the mm-hmm. you know don't get me started on bf skinner so or Pablo, like <laughs> don't don't do that you don't want to go there science is old All and right. it moves slowly is what i'm saying science is old
1: and it moves slowly as you know probably maybe it should you know it has to be a deliberate process it has to be a careful process it has to be a specific process and that takes time and you know i get it um Okay, so then we move into gaslighting. And gaslighting is something that I think, like, I God, I was so uncomfortable during this whole thing. Gaslighting specifically is very uncomfortable for me because that was a huge element of the abuse that I um, suffered, you know, when I was going through it. So whenever I talk about gaslighting, it makes me feel back in it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, um, You know, gaslighting, this is a quote, gaslighting is designed to make you question your own credibility and competence. Um, and yeah, and I spent years questioning my own judgment, um, you know, my capability, everything. Um, and so the evil involved in gaslighting and the way that it can turn you against yourself is one of those things that's just so fucking evil. And then we hit this point where they were like, you know, if you if you ask for the raise but don't get it, it's because you didn't ask the right way. Which brings to mind the Colin Kaepernick thing. Like, you know, where when he very peacefully, very quietly just took a knee, didn't even ask for the cameras to be on him, just took a fucking knee to make a goddamn point. Everybody's like, oh wow, that's disrespectful to the game and da-da-da-da. And they had to give him such a hard time about that. And then when nothing happened and protests got louder then it was like oh no that's not right either you need to be careful and, and respectful in your protest which is fucking stupid if we have to protest then respect has gone out the door like you don't get to have that you know yeah. um so yeah like i i don't know the whole um gaslighting thing the way in which uh, gaslighting is such a necessary integral part to this entire system, which in and of itself is abusive, yeah. this is abuse that you live under when you live under these systems. Um, and I don't know if my response to this is, you know, just discomfort because of my personal experience with that, or, or what, I don't know, what
0: did you think about this part? So I think it's important to educate people about gaslighting. Um, because mm-hmm. I, I didn't know this concept until I was an adult, uh, and, you know, and mm-hmm. and not that many years ago. and. And yeah. in a, you know, a personal relationship, it's one thing, but in a systemic way, it's another. And it is helpful to know that that is happening to you because even if it's unjust, you know, you're yeah. not crazy. So like yes. understanding, mm-hmm. and, and I was thinking of this tiny example because they said, you know, gaslighting is being told that you're imagining the discrimination or the stressors. Yes. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked a little bit about anti-fat bias and, and how great. That whole thing is if you're a fat (laughs) person um, in America. So a few years Mm ago, I shattered my right arm. Uh, I shattered my elbow Mm -hmm. completely, broke my arm in three places. It was a hideous break. It was horrible. Mm -hmm. Get to the, you know, I had to be taken by an ambulance to the ER. And of course, I'm screaming my head off because I didn't know the human body could hurt Mm -hmm. that much. And um, they give me morphine. Well, I never Mm -hmm. had morphine before. Well, come to find out, I carry a genetic marker that makes me completely, totally immune to morphine. Oh my well, I didn't god! Know so they giving me this pain medicine it was not working. I am screaming in my head. Out. They make oh. me go through the X rays and pull my arm, during which time they find out <gasps> that my elbow is shattered and my arm is broken in three places, right without any pain relief, while telling oh, me baby. that I am overreacting and assuming that I was pushing for more drugs. Like I thought it would be fun to permanently disable myself in order to get a morphine high. At the hospital. Oh my God. And it took three hours of sheer agony until an anesthesiologist finally, like, hooked me up to the vital machine and was able to determine oh that I had no pain relief. And then he was like, Yeah, some people are immune to morphine. And then they gave me the Lawton. Oh my and then God. I was fine. They blamed me. I was told oh, this is because, God, you know, honey. maybe it's not working because you're fat. Oh, it's you're just you you need to calm down. Oh, you're just pushing for more drugs. One of the nurses put a note in my chart that I was a drug seeker oh my God. because <gasps> of this. And I, I but I knew they were wrong. So at least I didn't feel oh crazy. I knew it was unjust. Mm-hmm. I knew it was cruel. Yeah, I knew it was coming from systemic bias and it was yeah. horrible and I would not wish yeah. that experience on anyone, but I did not doubt my own sanity or my own experience. So I do think there is mm-hmm. power in knowing that this is happening to yes. you um, mm-hmm. because the message is whatever is wrong, it's your fault. You know, right. and no, mm-hmm. it's not. You are not wrong. The mm-hmm. systems are wrong. And like I. I right. do gain strength from knowing that and being able to feel that as true. Oh uh, yeah, see, I would have doubted myself in that mm-hmm. circumstance if I had been you. I would have
1: absolutely, I, I so, and I can't even tell you how many stories I have about doctors, where a doctor told me something and I just went with what they said, even though they were absolutely wrong, and I part of me knew better. But I didn't trust myself. You know, I was raised. I mean, I was raised from the time I was little. I was gaslit from the time I was very, very little. So I grew up in a circumstance like that where I was trained to doubt my own capability, my own self-knowledge, everything. And it took me a long time to build that up eventually. But I was in my late 30s before I even started. Yeah you know yeah. so that's a whole goddamn process but Jesus I'm so
0: sorry that happened oh God here. me that too fucking it, was sucks. it was awful it's um, awful yeah yep. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, super absolutely. fun chapter.
1: I know. So let's keep having fun. Um, next is patriarchy blindness and human giver syndrome. Um, all right. One quick thing: while I was in the Discord chat, we were all talking. I kept using the phrase blind spot and was called in on that being an ableist term. So as we use the term. Patriarchy blindness. I just want to acknowledge uh, that I'm thinking about that, weeding my language, um, and I went looking on the internet for alternative phrasing, and there was nothing. People would call it out as being ableist language, but not give an option. So I'm going to guess use imperceptiveness or maybe blocked mm-hmm. um, on this. I'm going to think about it, but uh, but I just wanted to to acknowledge that as we were, um, you know, as we were talking about this, and and that is the language that they use actually in the book. So that said, uh, we have this whole bit where if everyone is a human giver versus if everyone was a human being thing, like if everyone's a human being, we go to war, you know, everything's terrible. And if everyone's a human giver, then we live in a utopia. I mean, is that the point being made that we all endlessly give of ourselves, but because we are also receiving because of everybody else endlessly giving of themselves? I felt like I missed something in that part of the read.
0: I think this is another example of oversimplification. So... Uh Some squirrels are furry, not everything that's furry is a squirrel, right? We have to, right. <laughs> we have mm-hmm. to come back to some basic yeah. logic reasoning here. Mm-hmm. So, anytime a system is out of balance, reversing that system doesn't make it right. So, you mm-hmm. can't just say, Well, we should all be human givers instead of hum- what right. we would want is a balance of the two recognize and honor you, your own humanity while recognizing and honoring the humanity of others so that we would have yes. the perspective of taking care of each other, of giving to each other. So it, it would be right. like society would not uphold an unjust system because we would genuinely mm-hmm. be looking out for each other, which does sound like a utopia. And I think that was their point.
1: But they were saying that everybody should be... I mean, because the thing is, like, the way that I look at it is that at times you're you know, the giver at times, you're the being, Mm -hmm. you know, and that and that we shift back and forth based on circumstance based on the moment, you know, like, uh, you know, to me, like the person who's bleeding is the person that gets the attention, the person whose house is on fire is the one who gets the water, right? So whenever everybody's like, Oh, you know, not everybody, blah, 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 not all men, or whatever, you know, um, the point is that, you know, or black lives matter, the big argument is all lives matter. And I'm like, Well, you know, if you say all houses matter, while somebody's house is on fire, we don't put it out, yeah. then that's fucking dumb, you know. Um, so that argument, of course, is complete and total bullshit. But um, so that's kind of what I see, like, here is that, um, is that, you know, it's not about being a giver is awesome and wonderful and then being a being is absolutely you know wrong that everybody should get to be both giver and being simultaneously and we can all have these experiences and we can all sometimes get out of somebody else's way or be a support person for them and then turn around and have somebody be a support person for you like that's kind of how it seems like it should work so this idea like i wasn't sure that the argument i thought i was reading it wrong that their argument was that everybody should be a human giver because that just felt weird to me.
0: I think it was more of that. No one should not have the understanding and experience of being a human giver. So I'm canceling myself out there. Um, Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I was like, uh, okay. Yes. If everyone is solely focused on themselves, Mm -hmm. yes, we're going to have war, which by the way we have. have. And I, (laughs) but I was, I was a little more interested in the headwinds, tailwinds, asymmetry. Yeah, uh, where people mm-hmm. notice their adversarial headwinds and not their helpful tailwinds. And then I did. It was almost ironic that they pointed out mm-hmm. people in any dominant group find it impossible to believe that the road isn't as flat for others as it is for them. And I was like, hmm, yeah, and yes. sometimes we don't even know it when we're the ones authoring the content, which mm-hmm. I think was <laughs> interesting to acknowledge. Uh-huh. It is so mm-hmm. difficult to understand struggles that are not your struggles, yes. you know, and um, mm-hmm. It really is. It really, really is. But that doesn't make it okay. Just because mm-hmm. it's almost impossible for a dominant group to understand a not doesn't mean that that is sanctioned human behavior. It doesn't mean it should stay that way. You know, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is why you believe people when they tell you what they're Oh, my God,
0: yeah, believe people would probably be the, the let's just summarize <laughs> yeah. this chapter. Like that would be a great fucking place to start. <laughs> just believe people. Like that would be yeah. that would be awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I was you know the tall tree fairness test, which I, I thought was kind of interesting, and I have heard before, mm-hmm. but I did like the you know they were saying we can imagine the advantages and disadvantages that shape our lives as similar to the natural environment that shapes a tree as it grows. Mm. None of us choose the landscape in which we are planted. And that is Mm -hmm. another thing that brings me comfort, as a lot of the time now. Mm -hmm. I think I do believe in reincarnation. I'm pretty sure I was an evil cult leader in a past life, so I'm fine with where (laughs) I was planted because that's what I believe. But um, (laughs) but we don't we don't choose where we are planted. We don't have control Mm -hmm. over those things and. It doesn't make everything okay, but it helps to know that that is true. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, it absolutely does. I mean, I loved this this one line, too, is why is that tree so bent and gnarled? Because that's what it took to survive in the place where she grew, you know. Um, And I feel like that line to me is probably like the most valuable thing um, it it opens up a space of empathy that like when somebody is behaving in a way or is, is you know, responding to things in a way that you don't understand, sometimes, you know, you need to think about it in terms of they are, you know, everybody's fighting a battle. Everybody's fighting an invisible battle. So be kind, you know, it's just that basic thing um, that people are the way that they are because of what they grew up in. And one of the things that my therapist is always telling me is that these, you know, these things that I do now that aren't productive and that, you know, the ways that I think that aren't productive, like the um, the unbelievable self-loathing and et cetera, right? Um, these are things that I developed to survive a childhood that was, I don't know, what do we call it? Less than ideal, right? <laughs> um, so... So those were were habits, uh, the self-deprecation, you know, the uh, the constantly attending to others, the hyper vigilance, like all of these things that I find exhausting and really damaging now were things that actually helped me survive in that environment. And so it it is a complicated process to honor those things and let them go. honor it, let it go. Honor it that this is the this is the thing that kept you alive. you know, like if you go down in the water, you need. Like the scuba gear, right? But when you're out of the water, if you're wandering around in scuba gear, you're going to move slow. You're not going to be able to like function because you don't need it to help you survive. Right. But you did when you were underwater. So you honor the scuba gear and then you take it the fuck off, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but when you see people and you're like, you know, what in the world you know, is going on with that person? I mean, chances are. That's it took that shape to for them to survive being planted where they were planted and understanding that I think you know, uh, it, it helps me a little bit. Yeah, you yeah know? I think
0: so too. Mm-hmm. I like the metaphor.
1: Yeah, I like it too. So moving forward, um, here we get to the end of the chapter, complete the cycle. Um, you know, have your feels of rage and grief and complete the cycle. Um, you know, unlearning helplessness, do a thing, call your representative, cry, scream, take your broken heart and make it into art. They, they uh, quote Carrie Fisher on that. Um, and then smash, right? So the the quote they have is, you smash it by making meaning, engaging with your something larger in ways that heal human giver syndrome. And I guess when I was reading this, I was like, I don't understand how that's smashing anything. And I guess that's part of what this whole thing is, is that it's like, well, you know, you honor your inner flower and then everything's okay because you're pretty and everything will just keep going the way that it's going. I'm like, how is my, I mean, I guess like my something larger, my meaning uh, you know, incorporates some smashing. Like I try to make it, um, but and and then I started looking at the worksheet. And I was like, I guess I can see in the worksheet, you know, where we smash the patriarchy, but like it just felt like I I needed to acknowledge white supremacy, erasure of people with disabilities, heteronormativity, um, you know, neurotypical versus neurodivergent, like the the idea that we're I don't feel like we're acknowledging all the different ways in which lots of different people can experience this and all of the things that we really do need to work to smash, not just the patriarchy, which, again, brings me back to I win every time because I prove my character, you know, and. Um, When we see that as a win, we're smashing nothing. All of these oppressive systems want me to spend my time feeling good about, quote unquote, my character, because that's the bone that they can give me without actually having to stop doing any of the bullshit that they're doing. Without having to stop running the Kobayashi Maru at me, you know, Um, instead of actually putting stress on those systems, they're like, but you get to feel good about yourself. Now run through it again you know, um, run through this unwinnable situation again. Um, and me feeling good about my character doesn't fight those systems at all. Now, again, I'm with you. If nothing we do matters, every the only thing that matters is what we do. That's hugely important. I absolutely subscribe to that. But this felt like a pat on the head at the end. And it just ended up making me feel frustrated by the whole
0: thing. Yeah. Yeah, I like that they're quoting Gloria Steinem here. The truth mm-hmm. will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. <laughs> um and and looking at you know rage and despair and grief um mm-hmm. where where their response was you know do a thing because your goal is to stabilize you you can't dis- yes. destabilize the entire system you have to stabilize mm-hmm. yourself and i think this smash is a i wouldn't have used that word to describe what i think yeah. they're getting at here this feels like a cognitive smash this feels like an emotional mm-hmm. smash Where Mm -hmm. you are acknowledging the unjust system that is pressing down upon you and making that clear Mm -hmm. within yourself to remind yourself why you would want to smash, why you still have value, why you still matter in the face of those things. Right. Because before Mm -hmm. you join the resistance, you have to understand what you are resisting. (laughs) And I I don't (laughs) think this is about advocacy or how we change the system. Mm -hmm. It is about surviving while you are in it. Uh, But some of the Mm -hmm. language kind of shifts where I'm like, well, if you tell me to smash something, I think I'm fighting. And that's not exactly what they Mm -hmm. were getting at here. Um, I think so. Yeah, tough. It was a really tough chapter.
1: It was. It was. All right. So here we are. We've gotten through this chapter. Kelly Jones, what was your aha moment?
0: I like the the big idea of in the wake of violence, you know, the first priority is to stop Mm -hmm. the bleeding. But then we need to go back and figure out how the bleeding started and prevent it from happening again um i think that's a big part of rewriting your origin story because mm-hmm. as you you know as you're owning your own experiences or you're reflecting on them i, I think it's it's the next step to say how do i prevent mm-hmm. this from happening again or how will i know yeah. if something like this is happening again i like that idea a lot i mm-hmm. don't know exactly what to yeah. do with it no. but i like it yeah yeah.
1: no i like what, it too i think that that's really what about cool. you what's your big idea The that's what it took to survive where she was planted, yeah, you know, like, um, and and that's a thing, it's an empathy and compassion inducing, um, idea for me, but I find that. It's, it's not just empathy and compassion for others, but it also opens up a space for empathy and compassion for myself because what do I constantly ask? Why am I like this? Yeah. Why do I do these things? Why do I think this way? You know, and what ends up my why am I so stupid? Why am I so ugly? Why am I so like, you know, why do I have no discipline? Why am I, you know, all the things that I judge myself for, um, some of which are not, my fault it was you know this is where I was planted this is what I did to survive and I'm glad that I did and again you know it brings me back to that gratitude for the physical you know existence that I yeah. have gratitude for my body being so fucking good to me even though I was kind of an asshole to it um you know like all of these things like give myself it, it opens up a space I think for me for self-compassion which is uh which is also really important
0: yeah. All right, Dr. Jones, what'd you resist? So there was this the one of the like stories in this chapter was about um I think it was Amelia being a director, like a mm-hmm. theater director. Yeah. And, you know, the the expectation was, you know, that she would be in the giver mode and she would do everyone's work for them and kind of you know, expectations were placed on her that were not placed on her predecessor. And mm-hmm. the advice was keep doing your job, being awesome at it. And eventually the people you work with will all get used to the fact that you're a person, an individual, a director. Their old expectations will be eroded by your competence. And I'm like, oh, bitch, please. Um, <laughs> I have I have no. No. I have Mm -hmm. the CV to prove Mm -hmm. it. Uh, No, this is just not the case. Yeah. So again, if that works for you, great. If that happens, great. But if your experience depends on other people changing their minds and their perspectives and proving your worth to them because you're so awesome and you're so competent, you're still part of a very fucked up system and it is not your job to shine brightly like the perfect star and be better than everybody else just to be acknowledged as a fucking human being. I hate this idea quite a lot. Yes. No, that is incredibly
1: frustrating. And I co-sign that as a very frustrating part of this. And that's how I feel when I win because my character. <laughs> Bitch, please. Okay.
0: Um, all right. So now what is your action and homework for this? So week? um I I hope I'm I I know it was a whole lot of notes, but I had a fucking blast diving into some oh of the God, research around wonderful. burnout. So I'm like, Oh, I wanna do human giver sender next. Yay! Um, and and and, and uh, Sarah has posted an article in Discord chat that I want to go read because um, I'm like yeah. oh yeah mm-hmm. I need to understand the source of the field of research that we're studying because it just helps me reframe yeah. everything so I want to do that deep dive again um, A because I'm struggling with human giver syndrome and B because I genuinely love looking shit up
1: so <laughs> yes oh my god and you're amazing I love coming coming in every week to a Kelly Jones lecture is like amazing so i am all for it all for it. it's
0: your homework baby
1: (laughs) um you know what i'm gonna take a little time and kind of nail down why i feel guilty whenever i read (laughs) this book um you know while still trying to appreciate what the book is doing and take out the stuff that is valuable and and that i think really does help um so talking it out in Discord has helped me so much. I am so appreciative of our listeners who are unbelievably fucking smart, yeah. and um, and I love that uh, that they're also really kind to mm-hmm. each other and to me, and um, and I hope you know to themselves. We're I think we're all a little bad at that um but uh, but there is a lot of kindness and a lot of intelligence on the discord server and i really look forward to hearing what people think and how they're responding because it helps me to kind of find the edges of my response which i really really like so i'm gonna try to work on that a little bit more and maybe i'll have something more specific that i can come in with some kind of insight
0: for next week um all right so what's your favorite part I like do a thing. Your goal is to stabilize you. I I, I like power and control. So mm-hmm. I have power and control over myself <laughs> to a certain extent.
1: But I like the
0: reminder. Your goal is to stabilize you. Like step one, step yeah. zero, right? Mm-hmm. Do that mm-hmm. first. I like it. I like do a thing.
1: Yeah. What about you? What's your favorite mm-hmm. part? Can it be the way it inspired a lecture from Kelly Jones? <laughs> yes, it can. <laughs> All right, to join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie, Diane Rich, and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones, and use the hashtag Big Strong. Yes. Also, be sure to follow Chipperish Media at Chipperish to stay connected to all of our podcasts.
0: You can find out more about
1: The Doctors Nagoski and Burnout at burnoutbook.net.
0: Patreon supporters are getting exclusive content, like Let's Watch Roulette, where Lonnie and Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd react to a randomly chosen movie or TV show for $5 and up supporters, while $10 and up supporters get to a t- 10 live chipperish show recordings. We've got a new stretch goal. Once we hit 500 subscribers, we'll unlock the monthly chip chat where Lonnie will host a private one hour Zoom call open to every supporter to talk about whatever. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now is the time.
1: Speaking of supporters, this episode of Big Strong Yes was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Big Strong Yes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abigail, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Rose, Shelley, Stephania, and Stephanie. And
0: this week's special message for our Power Producers, remember who the real enemy is. We will be back next time with Burnout Chapter 5, The Bikini Industrial Complex. Until then, today's closing quote is by Ali Kondi, who said, We all have something we have to push back against to break free from, whether it's social constraints or physical or emotional hardship or the ache of our own fears and weaknesses. When we read Dystopia, we root for these people to break free because we are those people hoping and fighting against things that are bigger than ourselves.